0: The war in Israel means a rise in anti-Semitism and Islamophobia in South Florida. How can our community rein it in? And who and what are we voting for here next Tuesday? Welcome to the South Florida Roundup. I'm your host, Tim Paget. In the next hour, we'll talk with both Jewish and Muslim community leaders about the disturbing increase in anti-Semitic and Islamophobic incidents. We know the cause, the war between Israel and Hamas, but what's the solution? We'll also preview next week's local elections in Miami-Dade County. Among them are heated races for Miami Beach mayor and the Miami commission seat that a criminally charged and suspended Alex Diaz de la Portilla is trying to win back. All this coming up right after the news. I'm Tim Paget. Welcome to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Bienvenidos, bienveni, benvindo. Anti-Semitism and Islamophobia are a dark problem in the U.S., even in peaceful times. But the war that broke out last month between Israel and Hamas seems to have opened a Pandora's box of hatred toward Jews and Muslims. Three weeks ago, an enraged man allegedly stabbed a six-year-old Palestinian-American boy to death. This week, a student at Cornell University in New York State was arrested for allegedly threatening online using horrific language to kill Jewish students. South Florida is not immune, especially given our own large Jewish and Muslim populations. In recent weeks, there have been a raft of anti-Semitic and Islamophobic incidents outside synagogues and mosques here. The question is how to dial down the hate rhetoric How to get both supporters of Israel and Palestinians to see that each side has valid claims in this dispute that need to be better understood. And how to make folks see that attacking Jews and Muslims here is not a solution, it's just barbaric. Today we'll talk with a local Muslim community leader and a local Jewish community leader about humane solutions. In our second segment, a bit later, I'll be joined by Sarah Emmons, Regional Director in Florida for the Jewish Nonprofit Anti-Defamation League. And in our first segment now, I'm joined by Wilfredo Ruiz, Florida spokesman for the Nonprofit Council on American Islamic Relations, or CARE. We're speaking with Mr. Ruiz first because today is Friday, the Muslim Sabbath, and he needs to join prayers at 1.30. Wilfredo, thank you for being with us.
1: Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you, Tim, and with our audience.
0: Salaam. Your organization obviously monitors instances of anti-Muslim hate. As of last week, CARE said it received almost 800 complaints of Islamophobic incidents around the country since the war in Israel started. Here in South Florida, you've logged things like text threats against Muslims and the slashing of tires on cars owned by Palestinians and Palestinian supporters. What are the worst things you're hearing about right now, Wilfredo?
1: We had a case. uh, uh, We're investigating, Tim, of someone whose uh, eye socket was fractured. And we are conducting an investigation that possibly will lead to that. That uh, harm was inflicted by a law enforcement officer during a a pro-Palestinian rally. Uh, We have uh, children from from elementary school to doctors who has come, uh, who has brought their complaints, or e- even losing their jobs for manifesting publicly uh, uh, that they favor a ceasefire, or that they uh, uh, would like uh, to condemn uh, uh, some Israeli policies, uh, that has cost, uh, I will say, at least more than a dozen professionals, including doctors, their positions because they have been fired. So that is the tense environment that we had not experienced before. Uh, Yes.
0: Well, Fredo, what do you most attribute this to, aside from the conflict in Gaza itself? Is it social media inflaming the bigotry or is it mainstream media coverage? For example, I'm referring to moments like Wednesday night when Fox News talk show host uh, Jesse Waters shouted that America and Western civilization, quote, have had it with Arab Americans and the Arab world. What what are you most attributing this to?
1: But we we see that inflame uh, xenophobic rhetoric and uh, affecting all of us. That's why you see spikes in in anti-Semitism and spikes in Islamophobia. What I've been saying through the years is that the same people who are who's a an anti-Semite tomorrow is an Islamophobe. You see, because these are haters, uh, and you will find these haters is what place does society want? to have those haters do we want to gain uh, give them platforms and audience or were they returned to the margins of the public sphere ha- as they were for decades and decades right. uh, unfortunately that's not the case and this is a word that you know Tim particularly touches uh families that have residences here in Florida and in Israel, and another thousands of Palestinian families that have their residence here in Florida and also right. in Palestine. And uh, so we, the the direct consequences of, of this war is being uh, felt and breathed in, in our communities and neighborhoods, and that's perhaps what got uh, the environment so tense as we feel it now. In in the
0: Florida context, how much also has this been affected by the kind of statements politicians like Governor Ron DeSantis recently made when he said all Palestinians quote are all anti-Semitic?
1: And that is a big problem because then it it was even in a question in, in a sentence that started even worse, saying they they are not Hamas. But I can tell you that they are all anti-Semitic. And then that statement paired with other, many other politicians, leaders, whose either silence before the, the denunciation of the killing of innocent civilians is deafening to our community, mm-hmm. or uh, uh, their lack of attention. The weeks ago, weeks ago, Tim, we did a press conference of a, of a mother who had her five kids, all American citizens in Gaza. And she was saying how uncooperative the Department of State and the Biden administration was regarding these five American citizens. If these are five American citizen kids, imagine what are, what do we feel as a community will be the interest of the United States to protect the thousand children that are being killed every week in well, this conflict, well, for, for the for the record, I think bleeding right. you
0: know? for the record, I think the Biden administration would say that it would be concerned about US citizens, whether they are Palestinian or Jewish, et, et cetera. But does yeah. it also does it also help raise the level of Islam, Islamophobia, for example, when DeSantis's administration bans groups like Students for Justice in Palestine from Florida okay. State University campuses, as it did last week, because th- those groups are deemed to be supporting Hamas, Hamas's terrorist violence simply because they support but, the Palestinians.
1: And this is a, it has built up to this now. And I say it has built up to this now because there was previous legislation uh, uh, passed by Florida, by the Florida uh, uh, Capitol and signed by the governor uh, uh, where contractors needed needed to certify in writing that they will not boycott, divest or or sanction the state of Israel to get a contract here in the United States. So uh, uh, this kind of, the, as a matter of fact, in Texas, it, it was taken to the courts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I'm trying to tell you that this is an institutional uh, uh, persecution that our community was was suffering be, even before the war of a total uh, uh, on acceptance of criticism to the state right. of Israel, well, along, and then equating our community to self-hating Jews yeah. or anti-Semites, I, I, and that hurts the community on its roots in right. the basketball courts, in the corner, mm-hmm. in the little store, in the gas station. That's what hurts our community. I, that I kind did.
0: Of- I did want to ask you about along those lines. I mean, is you're saying that the Muslim community here is also having to deal with a presumption? that some in government and the media have promoted, which says that if you support the Palestinian cause and if you're critical of the Israeli government's treatment of the Palestinians, then somehow that means you also support Hamas and its terrorism?
1: Uh, in, in some ways, imagine how insensitive it is that a teacher will, will in her classroom, uh, do a, a pledge of support to the state of of Israel, when in that same classroom you have a student who's Palestinian who lost half of his family in a bombing. You see how insensitive the system is on not recognizing the humanity and the presence of Gazans and Palestinians among us? And they want to alienate all those and really dehumanize uh, 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 millions of people that are suffering collective punishment. But, the but silence of everybody's deafening team, right. how our community will feel if they hear none of their elected officials saying right. to the state of Israel, could you reinstate the tap water to two million people? I know. You see how we feel, how dispossessed, how this misrepresented. Right. But along uh, those
0: along topic. those lines, Wilfredo, though, has CARE itself made it clear enough, do you think, that it condemns and renounces Hamas and the terrorist violence it committed on on
1: october 7th I'm, I'm glad you asked that question tim because that precisely shows evidently shows to the public that we are at a stage uh where as we were after September 11, where well, almost mm-hmm. any Muslim who want to make any public pronouncement need to say, my name is Wilfredo. I'm a Muslim, but I don't like Al-Qaeda, and I'm not a terrorist. Right. It shouldn't have to be a you litmus see, test, in, you're in, saying. The, yeah. in our workplaces, mm-hmm. people, our, our employees are complaining of our community that their, their, their co-workers are telling them, hey, why don't Palestinians go to Egypt and Jordan? That yeah. That very xenophobic question right. is what the, the 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 people needs to face and then hold because otherwise they will be fired like other dozens of professionals that mm-hmm. have been already fired in this Okay, day. no,
0: understood. I'm Tim Padgett. You're listening to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. We're talking about the rise in anti-Semitism and Islamophobia here and across the country amid the Israel-Hamas war. I'm speaking with Wilfredo Ruiz, Florida Spokesman for the Council on American-Islamic Relations, or CARE. So, Wilfredo, let's talk about what can be done to confront and reduce the Islamophobia the Muslim community here and across the country is experiencing. How do we change the discourse here, for example,
1: about Islam? We need to to educate our political class and our our media and our means of communication to always provide our audience with a balanced report on whatever they are reporting, that if we listen uh, to the many innocent victims that were murdered in Israel, they are also, with the same impetus and the same interest, talk about the innocent victims uh, that are happening in, in Gaza right more, now. More, more balance, uh, you're saying then, right? Exactly. And and, and 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 if you see a senator saying, hey, Israel have a right to defend his, itself, yes. But why don't we listen to that senator uh, after weeks of kids being murdered, uh, thousands of kids per week being murdered, at least not saying, hey, don't use our bombs. Don't but, use our money. You're referring to, to the children, children. killed,
0: the children who and have been killed in, in the in, the, in the, st- the, the Israeli military strikes in Gaza. Yeah. And
1: and look what happened today uh, when when the Israeli ADF bombed uh, 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 the entrance of Al Shifa Hospital, uh, the, uh, a, a caravan of ambulances. Okay. You see, no, when I, you're listening I, 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 I to these kind of things and we don't see the condemnation, immediate condemnation yeah. to bombing amb- caravans of ambulances or, or to bombing dozens of mosques that have been bombed. but, but the, uh, the UN personnel killed. Medicines without borders have lost a lot of personnel to these bombings. No, you see what is happening? It but, is a tragedy. But it back here a- in
0: Florida, Wilfredo, what does CARE, for example, urge schools to do? for example, to make sure children to make sure children gain an understanding of Islam and Muslims and don't grow up susceptible to the kind of Islamophobia we've we've just been talking about. What should
1: be taught? We, We have we have been educating for now for 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 decades, our community in more civic engagement now, if you compare the status of America now when we have over two hundred in the in the nation, over two hundred elected officials in different capacities, that's not the uh, Muslim community of twenty or twenty five years ago. You see we have a lot more uh, uh, civic engagement in all levels. We see the presence in the academia, the presence mm-hmm. in the in the in the health field. Uh, of, of Muslim professionals on contributing to this, that is almost, uh, 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 I believe we have been very successful in trying to say, mm-hmm. let let what you do for your community show who you really are and right. what our, our faith is. And that's why you see free medical clinics in Miami-Dade run by by Muslim organizations, free medical clinics in Palm Beach uh, run by Muslim organizations where uh, uh, we provide asylum assistance to to a lot of Venezuelans that are not Muslims in our office. Mm -hmm. Well, we are a civil rights organization really Protecting anyone who faces discrimination because of their ethnicity or right. their or their belief, religious belief, those are, that's where we devote our our most of our efforts, and obviously trying to convey uh, a, a balanced uh, mm-hmm. com- uh, uh, reality and telling our community. That in these very emotional times, and we have been in multiple schools right. and in in mosques, uh, uh, we need and, and- to watch what we say. We need to watch what we write. We can need to be watchful mm-hmm. of how we react to what is being said and written. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and sp- speaking
0: like- speaking of schools, though, afraid, though this week Florida lawmakers up in Tallahassee announced they plan to direct twenty five million dollars to improve security at Jewish schools in the state, understandably. But should they be doing the same for Muslim schools here as well?
1: You know what, Tim? That happened uh, on previous years and on previous years. This organization have made public statements that we don't oppose, that the government provides extra monies for the schools of of the of our cousins, uh, Jewish cousins in our neighborhoods, but to completely ignore a minority was perhaps a way of establishing an a xenophobic policy. We denounced it then, and that's why. How you just said one thing that proves how institutionally inserted and embedded is the Islamophobia towards our community. Very early, uh, uh, the Saudis in this conflict say we will not, we wouldn't like anyone from Gaza coming in. All right we have over a thousand American citizens who may well be wanted to come to Florida and and who's him to prevent any American citizens to stepping their foot in America uh uh he probably want to be president but she certainly is not and I doubt he will be uh but uh, well, well uh this this right. this is something that really does not help yeah. to what you are we are it is It is a slap in the face to the civic work we're trying to do. It takes us 10 steps back um, uh, of of where we were in in interfaith relations and interfaith collaborations Mm. in, in... uh, that, that, that rhetoric, and, and okay. this is not the first time that the Muslim community is taken as a, as a political football. Well,
0: we're, Wilfredo, uh, and, we're, we're, we're going to have to leave it there for time, and, and I know you have, to, uh, you, you have to leave us as well. But yes. thank you for your perspectives. Wilfredo Ruiz is Florida Spokesman for the Council on American-Islamic Relations. Wilfredo, many thanks for being with us. We appreciate
1: it. Thank you, San I I'm going to please be with you.
0: Still to come, I'll discuss the equally troubling rise in anti-Semitism with the Florida director of the Anti-Defamation League. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Tim Paget. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. In our last segment, we spoke with Wilfredo Ruiz, the Florida spokesman for the Council on American-Islamic Relations, about the rise in Islamophobia both here and around the country since the Israel-Hamas war began last month. In this segment, I'm joined by Sarah Emmons. She's the regional director in Florida for the Anti-Defamation League, and we're going to discuss the equally disturbing increase in anti-Semitic incidents in recent weeks and how to confront and reduce that violently hateful trend. Sarah, thank you as well for being with us.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Let's start with some news this week, uh, which I mentioned earlier with Wilfredo, namely that Florida lawmakers are proposing to earmark $25 million for Jewish day schools and preschools to boost security. Take us through what we've seen in the state in recent weeks that is compelling the legislature to do this. I mean, we've been watching videos lately, for example, of a man shouting expletives at Jews outside synagogues in Broward County. What else has the Jewish community here been dealing with?
2: Well, it's been a hard few weeks, not only here in Florida, but also nationally. So nationally, since the war began on October 7th, we've seen an almost 400 percent increase in anti-Semitic incidents in comparison to the same time frame the year before. So just an explosion in anti-Semitism. And here in Florida, you mentioned some incidents that we've been experiencing. We've also seen people harassing Jewish individuals while leaving a synagogue. We've seen death threats written on notes and left on a Jewish family's door. We've seen in a Miami park golf balls that were found printed with anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, a variety of vandalism incidents. And we've also just seen a huge explosion of anti-Semitism on college campuses Mm -hmm. um, nationally and here in Florida from a pro-Israel sign that was slashed outside of fraternity at the University of Florida to a number of anti-Israel protests that have included anti-Semitic rhetoric. So Uh, we have really been challenged here in the state of Florida.
0: You recently pointed out, I believe in the Palm Beach Post, that between 2020 and 2022, the number of anti-Semitic incidents in Florida doubled. So things were already bad here. But is there a difference between the kind of anti-Semitic harassment we saw here before this latest conflict between Israel and Hamas and the incidents we've been seeing now after it broke out?
2: So we are seeing some similarities and some differences. So I'd say prior to the war beginning, one of the core ways in which anti-Semitism showed up was by white supremacists and extremists, um, individuals who have really been drawn to the state of Florida and have been very active here in the state. Right. Um, they have done things like distributing very hateful and anti-Semitic flyers, dropping banners over highway overpasses and projecting words and images onto buildings. And, you know, what we're seeing right now since the war began is that these extremists are still active. They are capitalizing on anti-Israel and anti-Semitic rhetoric related to the war to share their message. Mm -hmm. You know, just last week in Georgia, one of these extremist groups created banners that said, Free Palestine in America from Jewish supremacy. And they hung these banners over an overpass um, alongside Hitler quotes. So Mm -hmm. while we're seeing a proliferation of these same extremist groups um, incorporating some of this war, um, we're also seeing the anti-Semitism erupting both online and in flashpoints on college campuses. Right. I
0: I did want to ask you about that next. I mean, what besides the war itself do you feel is doing the most to help fuel these incidents in recent weeks—is it social media, as you just mentioned? Is it the discourse we're hearing on so many U.S. college campuses, where we've seen loud support for Palestinians that, unfortunately, often devolves into anti-Semitic tropes?
2: So, I'd say that the activities on college campuses and social media, both both of which you referenced it, referenced, are key drivers in in this anti-Semitism um, increase over the past few weeks. We've just seen on social media, I'm sure we're all seeing it, so much misinformation and so much, so many individuals taking a side, um, acting as if this is a baseball game where we need to root for one team or the other, mm-hmm. when in reality, this conflict is incredibly nuanced, um, involves a lot of context in history that many folks who are quick to po- repost a meme or retweet a soundbite um, are not aware of the full context. And some of that you know, language on the internet is certainly showing up not only on the internet, but is also manifesting in an anti Semitic like incidents on the ground.
0: Right. Last week, we saw a Jewish Republican in the Florida legislature, Representative Randy Fine, break with Governor DeSantis because he said the governor himself has not done enough to publicly denounce anti Semitic incidents like neo Nazi rallies at places like Disney World. Has DeSantis's perceived silence in that regard? helped open the door to anti-Semitic behavior here in Florida in recent weeks, do you fear?
2: So I think it's critical that our elected leaders are not only standing with Israel in this moment, but also condemning anti-Semitism, especially as it shows up here in the United States. One of the things I look for in strong leadership is leaders who are saying the right things now, and are standing up for Jewish individuals now and against anti-Semitism, but have also, I hope in the future, will have a drumbeat of condemnation of anti-Semitic incidents. And so I really think that's both for the governor and an ask for him to, as we certainly will experience more anti-Semitic incidents in our state, that that consistent messaging and condemnation of those activities are incredibly critical.
0: Now, in our show's previous segment, you, you may have heard uh, Wilfredo Ruiz of of the Council on uh, uh, American-Islamic Relations made a, a complaint that I hear also from non-Muslims, people who um, who do support Israel's right to exist and to defend itself, but yet they feel that when they make a complaint or, or criticize the Israeli government, the Israeli state, on perhaps how they treat Palestinians, they are automatically labeled as anti-Semitic, and a lot of people feel that's unfair. On the other side of the coin, do you feel pro-Palestinian groups like like CARE are doing enough to denounce the terrorist massacre Hamas committed on October 7th in Israel?
2: So there's a couple pieces to that question. Let me answer that in a couple parts. So I really want to I want to be clear about what anti-Semitism is and what it is not.
0: Okay, thank you. Um,
2: So let me start what it is is not. Okay. so to say that you disagree with the state of Israel's policies, inclusive of their military decisions, is not Mm anti-Semitic. So that would be like saying that someone's anti-American if they disagree with President Biden's decision to let Medicaid negotiate drug prices. Um, so saying that you think there should be a ceasefire or you think that Israel should end the blockade, those are not in and of itself themselves anti-Semitic beliefs. I may disagree with you. Folks mm-hmm. may disagree with you, but that's not anti-Semitism. Okay. Where it crosses the line into anti-Semitism is saying that Israel does not have the right to exist. What is anti-Semitism is saying from the river to the sea. And otherwise, mm-hmm. In other words, calling for the destruction of the state of Israel uh, of, and all the Jews that live there. Uh, What is anti-Semitism is calling for intifada or violent uprising against Israelis of Jews and embracing common tropes about Jewish power and control. Those are also anti-Semitic. So Mm -hmm. when we ask our partners, right, Karen and and others to look at the lay of the land, we are asking organizations to call out anti-Semitism. We may have points where we disagree on other issue areas around the policies of the Israeli government, um, but around true anti-Semitic ideologies and beliefs, that's where we ask our partners to speak out. Mm
0: -hmm. For the for for on that matter, I mean, uh, do, do you feel that the more progressive and more pro-Palestinian wing of the Democratic Party is itself being too apologetic toward Hamas? And, and if so, is that also helping to stoke anti-Semitic feeling here?
2: So I'll start with the fact that the vast majority of elected leaders, both the Democrats and Republicans, have condemned the actions of Hamas on October 7th, and they have spoken out against anti-Semitic incidents here in the U.S., you know, there are always extreme voices from the left, from the right. Um, and in my opinion, these voices are rarely helpful in times like these. In times like these, yeah. I think it's critical to share truth with the public and offer a nuanced perspective about a really complicated situation. So, you know, to answer your question explicitly, there have been a few leaders on the left and with them lots of people who have been too quick to share extreme, unnuanced, and at times inaccurate news and perspectives on the war. You know, and my ask for all elected leaders is check your sources, validate your information, and don't feel like you need to frame your perspective in soundbites and 140-character tweets, because that doesn't do justice to the complexity of the situation.
0: Good advice. I'm Tim Paget. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. We're talking about the disturbing rise in anti-Semitism and Islamophobia here and around the country amid the Israel-Hamas war. I'm speaking with Sarah Emmons, Regional Director in Florida for the Anti-Defamation League. League. Sarah, as I did with Wilfredo Ruiz, I want to discuss solutions to this problem as well. What more do we need to do, be it governmentally, in our schools, in our media, in our community organizations, to confront and reduce anti-Semitism, especially at a moment like this?
2: I have many asks for the community at this time, so thank you for asking. I've got five and I'll go quick. The first I would say to folks is be willing to have real and hard conversations in person with people you know who have been saying or posting harmful or untrue things online. Don't be a keyboard warrior. Have these conversations in person. The second is asking elected and community leaders, and this is inclusive of university leadership, to speak out against all forms of hate, whether that's anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, racism, When these elected leaders speak out, it serves to bring us back to center, to recognize that hate is on the fringes and that the vast majority of people want a hate-free society. Um, I also just want to shout out, we had President Ben Sasse at the University of Florida who came out with a very strong statement, as did the University of Miami President Frank The Mm -hmm. third is asking workplaces to get involved in this. Um, ADL has a workplace pledge to fight anti-Semitism. Big companies have signed on. We've got Google, Coca-Cola, Adidas, and many Florida companies, NASCAR, PGA Tour, JazzWars, Greenspoon Martyr. So would ask workplaces to to get involved in this effort to condemn anti-Semitism. Fourth, advocating for policies that fight hate and protect marginalized communities. There's a variety of these policies and actions on ADL's website. And lastly, it's just reporting incidents of anti-Semitism when we know what's happening on the ground. Our team at ADL can support.
0: What do non-Jews perhaps still not understand, for example, about the Holocaust, since we're talking about trying to educate the public? What do they still not understand about the Holocaust, perhaps, that keeps them from understanding how Hamas's October 7th massacre affects Jews at this moment?
2: Well, you know, as I stated earlier, I think there's a really nuanced and complicated history to land ownership and indigenous peoples in the Middle East that many folks are not aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, it's it's not as easy as, you know, going online and reading a tweet and suddenly becoming aware. I would really encourage people to dive into the history of the Middle East and better understand both the conflict between Israel, Hamas, um, lands and territories to better understand some of these really complicated issues. The Jews themselves are a marginalized people who have been removed and displaced from lands and from countries and regions for years. And many folks are not aware of that displacement.
0: Now, there's also a lot of what we might call dog whistle anti-Semitism out there, like, for example, when we hear the right wing attack this politician or that organization for being, quote, funded by George Soros. Do tropes like that add to anti-Semitic stereotypes as well?
2: Absolutely. I mean, that is anti-Semitism. When we are blaming Jewish people for saying that Jews control the media, there's lots of conspiracy theories about Jews and power and immigration. When we perpetuate those ideologies about Jews, we are not helping in our community. Um, and so, again, sometimes people don't even understand that those are tropes or conspiracy theories. Um, here at ADL, we have a resource called Anti-Semitism Uncovered, which really lays out the different ways in which you know the Jewish community is blamed and the conspiracy theories uh, that are, that relate to the Jewish community, I encourage folks to check it out and learn more so that we're not unintentionally saying those things about the Jewish community.
0: Right. And speaking uh, as with racism, for example, a lot of us thought anti-Semitism would have dissipated in America by now. Why do you think the bigoted stereotypes still persist in the 21st century? Are, 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 and, and more importantly, are, are moments like the Israel-Hamas war we're watching now an opportunity in any way to change the thinking that drives anti-Semitism, or will it just exacerbate it?
2: It's hard to pick any one reason why anti-Semitism is on the rise. I think relatedly, we know that anti-Semitic attitudes are on the rise, right, which ends up translating into anti-Semitic incidents. But I think a huge piece of it is when there is a sense of unease in the community, when there is a sense of fear, people look to other groups to blame. And unfortunately, we know from history that the Jewish community has often been the punching bag of other groups when they are in pain. And so I think there's really a call for our community to come together, to learn from one another, for organizations to work together to fight not only anti-Semitism, but also Islamophobia, racism and any sort of bigotry so that we can create a society where people can accept others' differences and thrive together. Yeah. Along
0: those lines, um, you know, we saw, I think, after 9-11, there there was a movement to, including here in South Florida, uh, amongst the, you know, what we call the Abrahamic faiths, Christianity, Judaism, and, and Islam, to, to come together and, for example, uh, join in each other's um, worship services and, and things of that nature. Is, is, is this a moment, uh, you know, amid this war, when, when movements like that should be sort of uh, accelerated again, do you think?
2: I think there's absolutely an opportunity for groups to come together. And I think that the, if there's going to be a silver lining from this moment, it really is opening doors and saying that we have so much to learn from one another, and that we can support each other in this in this work. You know, just uh, this Sunday, the Mosaic Miami is hosting an interfaith march, a march in unity that I'll be attending. ADL is co-sponsoring, along with a variety of organizations, interfaith organizations, um, Cosmos, uh, the AJC, a variety of organizations. And so I think that this is a moment for folks to come together and I hope we continue to do so.
0: Well, I hope so too. Sarah Emmons is regional director in Florida for the Anti-Defamation League. Sarah, many thanks. We appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Still to come, looking ahead to some heated local elections here in Miami-Dade County next week. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Tim Paget. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Next week is the first Tuesday of November, so even though this is an odd-numbered year, there must be a good election or two going on somewhere, right? And sure enough, five Miami-Dade County municipalities are holding important votes. They include Homestead, Hialeah, Surfside, and the always lively political hotbeds of Miami and Miami Beach. In Miami Beach, they're casting ballots for mayor and three new at-large commissioners. The mayoral race is especially dynamic, with four candidates running to lead a city that's trying to find its post-spring break future and maybe preserve its Art Deco past. In Miami, voters will choose commissioners in three of its five districts, and that includes District 1, where suspended commissioner Alex Diaz de la Portilla, who was arrested in September on money laundering and bribery charges, wants to win his seat back. Do you plan to vote in any of these elections next Tuesday? Share your thoughts with us. Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. Joining me now here in the studio for a preview are Joey Flechas, he's the Miami Herald's government and public affairs reporter, and Aaron Leibowitz, who covers Miami Beach for the Herald. How are you guys doing today?
3: Good, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for No,
0: thanks for being here. Joey, let's start with the Magic City here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in particular, the Miami District 1 commissioner election I referred to earlier. As I mentioned, the guy who used to hold that seat, Alex Diaz de la Portilla, was arrested a couple months ago on a slew of criminal charges. He has pleaded not guilty. But Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has suspended Diaz de la Portilla and now he wants to win the seat back. What are his chances? Uh Diaz de la Portilla has a very strong
4: chance. Um that uh, name carries so much weight. His family has been in politics here and in Tallahassee for decades. Um and um, it is actually an interesting moment to examine, you know, the power that the name pulls, uh, the validity and the belief in, you know, what what what, you know, how Harold Pryor is doing in Broward County, the, the prosecutor who has been right. brought forth this investigation. Yeah, and
0: I want to bring that up a little later. And even, yeah.
4: Right. Yeah. And even the news media and, and what's being reported and what's out mm-hmm. there about uh, what has what has happened and what the charges are. It'll be interesting to see. Does that resonate with his base, with the voters? There's his base, which includes of um, a, a very large senior population mm-hmm. um, with whom, you know, candidates in Miami and Miami Beach spend a lot of time connecting with very directly by going and campaigning directly and making sure that they return their absentee ballots. Are they receiving any of this messaging about what's happened here, about the charges that he faces, and does that impact his chances at all? The the the, the, the smart money out there is saying that it the race is really who's going to make the runoff with him.
0: Okay. And and, and I, I guess I should also ask under the new district map for Miami is district 1 that much different than it was in the old map It's a little bit different but uh-huh. it's not the core of it the core of it remains the same Okay
4: So yeah we're we're talking largely the, a similar electorate
0: And if, and if and if he wins Diaz de la Portilla c-
4: can hold the seat unless he's convicted right And yes, or unless he's suspended once more. Once more, okay. Which which has happened before in the city of Miami. (laughs) Okay, so it just
0: depends on what mood Governor DeSantis is Uh, in then. (laughs)
4: Yeah, I mean, there's there's talk out there that, hey, he could be suspended immediately after again, and then the city will have to decide what to do then.
0: Now, we obviously (laughs) have to mention these bizarre flyers his campaign has been sending to voters in Broward County, of all places, lashing out at the Broward County State Attorney, Harold Pryor, whom you just mentioned, whose office filed the charges against Diaz de la Portilla. Does that sort of Trump style behavior appeal to voters in, in, in his district back here in Miami? It's definitely the bet that
4: he's making, right? Yeah. I mean, not only is he doing that, but he's also putting his own face next to Donald Trump's uh, you know, face and an American flag on some of his flyers and, <laughs> and that's the line of that's the line of campaigning he's pursuing. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether that is really something that resonates i think at a core there is definitely a a, a base of voters that 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 will mean a lot for you know uh-huh. on the airwaves and spanish language radio on a spanish language television like that kind of messaging will hit mm-hmm. um but you know the electorate has changed not just in terms of district boundaries but also like you know there are other people voting and there are yep. newer people voting and it makes you wonder every four years with miami changing the way it does if Uh, how that impacts any election. So I'm really curious to see what happens Tuesday.
0: Well, I I also need to ask, obviously, who are the strongest among his challengers, who are Miguel Ángel Gabela, Francesco Pichel, Mercedes Rodriguez, and Marvin Tapia. Um, Miami had tried to block Um, Gabela's candidacy because it questioned whether he actually resided within the boundaries of that new District 1 map, but a judge ruled in Gabela's favor. Where where does all that stand now? Is he securely on the ballot?
4: He is definitely on the ballot, Uh and as of right now, he's securely on the ballot. There's actually a third District Court of Appeals panel that is reviewing the case and has not issued a ruling yet okay um and i mean I, I don't know why it would it potentially the timing here suggests that they might not want to do that until after the election i don't know that's a speculation on my part but
0: um but it, who, who among those challenges i just mentioned do you Get a sense, of our, our, our strongest uh, next Tuesday. I would say
4: Gabella, in his fourth now attempt to, to run for this <laughs> seat, is okay. has has built up enough name ID, um, and then Mercy Rodriguez, uh, Mercedes Rodriguez. She is a county county employee who does have a history of civic involvement at the county, at the city. Um, she, they're probably they're surging from what I'm seeing, mm-hmm. um, and, and that'll probably be the mix, the three of them. Francisco Pichel, former cop, but who also actually just got arrested on the campaign trail for pulling a gun on a campaign worker, allegedly, uh, last week. So uh, probably not somebody uh, that and that Alex
0: Diaz-Laportier or any other candidates are worried about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Aaron, let's cross the bay to Miami Beach. First, we've got a crowded mayor's race, four candidates, Michael Gongora, Mike Greco, Steve Miner, and Bill Rohde. what are the most important things to know about each of these guys?
3: Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting race to yeah. see who will succeed Dan Gelberg, Gelber, who's been right, the mayor yeah. for mm-hmm. six years now. And you know, I I think the interesting thing to note is that Gongora, Greco, and Minor all have experience on the Miami Beach City Commission. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Gongora has served uh, parts of three terms on the commission. Minor is a current city commissioner. And Grieco, uh was a commissioner who also was a Democratic state rep um, for four years. Rhodey is really the wild card here who does not have any political background. Right. He was the CEO of... Uh, MTV MTV, International. He's the outsider here, yeah. He is really running as as the outsider and 75 years old too, right? Yeah, and he's spent spent over two million dollars to get his name out there.
0: And we could also possibly have the first gay mayor uh, in Miami Beach's history, right?
3: Yes, Michael Gangora would be the city's first openly gay mayor.
0: Mm -hmm. Now you wrote recently that um, Spring Break Chaos development, which these days means high rises versus historic Art Deco architecture, I guess we could say, and sea level rise are among the biggest concerns for Miami Beach voters. If you had to choose one of those as a make or break issue for the typical Miami Beach resident, which, which would it be? And, and which of the mayoral candidates seems to have a strong handle on it? I mean, on the spring break issue, for example, I see they all take a sort of beefed up law and order approach.
3: Yeah, I think crime and public safety is the one that you're hearing residents and candidates hone in on the most. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's, you know, despite the fact that city officials and police will tell you that crime is down overall in the city in recent years. But there is a perception, uh, especially in South Beach, that, um, you know, people don't feel safe. And like you said, with spring break, uh, that there is, you know, sort of a feeling of chaos that the city has just... Not been able to control, um, you know. The candidates all talk about adding more police, uh, you know, cracking down on spring break, but no one has really figured out over the years how to right. address this. And you know, like I said, three of these folks have served on the city commission before. Mike Greco will talk a lot about, you know, how. He helped introduce the Air and Sea show over Memorial Day weekend, which helped change the tone of Memorial Day weekend in the city. Yeah. And how he'd like to, you know, take a similar approach to spring break. But do
0: any of these candidates impress you with a real vision for how to shift Miami Beach's image and identity away from spring breakers and happy hour to something more serious and substantive?
3: It's interesting because, you know, one of the things Gelber has really tried to do is promote a vision of Miami Beach as an arts and culture destination. Right. And, you know, I I think several of these candidates talk about doing a similar thing. At the same time, not all of them support a 2 a.m. last call for alcohol in South Beach on Ocean Drive, which is one of the things that Gelber really pushed for. Um, You know, some of these candidates, Gongora doesn't support that. Rhodey has said he doesn't think it's, you know, sort of a catch-all fix.
0: But is it conducive to an arts and culture image if you're also uh, promoting high-rises that are, are sort of subverting the, the city's art deco and other historic uh, uh, personas?
3: I think that's one of the core tensions that the city is dealing with right now, is that, you know, the art deco architecture, um, you know, the, the historic nature of iconic streets like Ocean Drive is obviously a huge part of what attracts people to Miami Beach at the same time you know there's a lot of pressure from developers who see this you know waterfront property as extremely valuable yeah. all of these candidates are running as anti overdevelopment they right. they will all say that they you know they want to crack down a lot of them point to a new tower that's going up uh, at Fifth Street in Alton that mm. is, you know, by far the tallest tower the city has seen to date yeah. and cracking down on that type of construction.
0: I'm Tim Padgett. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. We're talking about next week's local elections in Miami, Miami Beach and other Miami Dade County cities. Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576 or tweet us at WLRN. Uh, Joey, I want to return to uh, to you in Miami, um, uh, since we're talking about issues, um, you and the Herald recently asked all five candidates um, uh, for uh, the, for example, for the district one race and other and the other commissioner races four and two, what would their solutions be for affordable housing? Uh, I should mention Diaz de la Portillo was the only one who didn't respond um, to this. But is that the issue you feel residents in the city of Miami are going to feel strongest about when they when they go to vote next week? I think there's a
4: strong segment of the voting population that cares a lot about um, that kind of, you know, uh, ground level issue, affordable housing, Mm -hmm. transit's another one. Um, And even in these two two specific districts um, um, that are are actually all three, districts four, two and one, um, flooding. And, uh-huh. and and drainage are are ground level issues. Parks just having a like, park like Miami Beach, thing, just yeah. like Miami Beach, right? Yep. Now, is that the thing that gets people out to the polls? It's an interesting question, right? I mean, these are low turnout elections, and um and they they can they can be really really low in a place like the city of Miami, and I, it's, I don't know if I have a good question, a good a good answer for why. Um, because these are ultimately the deciders. I mean, there's three seats here and the, yeah. uh, how the how the tax dollars are spent to address any one of these issues. And I'll tell you, as far as what the candidates are saying, I mean, particularly in a place like District one, a lot of the, the dialogue that's occurring in, you know, the mailed ads and television ads. It's just really mudslinging. You know, it's yeah. not it's not it's not really the conversation is not too focused on issues. But when they do, when you get to that point with the candidates, yeah, housing, uh, flooding. Um and, and public safety, that's another one. that's that's what people are really kind of driven by.
0: And I just w- real quickly, I just want to ask one last question to both of you. Um, there's a, deb- a debate coming up that because, you know, if if there's vote, if early voting's any indication, we're expecting low voter turnout. Is there a feeling that holding elections like these in off year or odd numbers years just drives down turnout and invites a lot of less scrutiny of these candidates? I know Coral Gables, for example, has been having that discussion. Joey, just real quickly. It's it's
4: it's a debate because often what you'll hear from um, incumbents in particular is that you have the stronger kind of more civically minded voter, even if there are fewer of them yeah. coming out in these kinds of elections. However, yeah, it's a baseline concern. Like, is, are, okay. are people getting involved? You know,
0: thanks. Joey Flachius is the Miami Herald's government and public affairs reporter. Aaron Lebowitz covers Miami Beach for The Herald. Gentlemen, many thanks and have a great weekend. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Finally, on the roundup. Throughout Latin America and the Caribbean, the arrival of November means a visit with the dearly departed. I'm talking, of course, about the Day of the Dead. From Mexico, where it's called Dia de los Muertos, to Haiti, where it's known as Fet Ged, it's a time to commune with the deceased. No, make that party with them. And you should know that one of the biggest party with the dead events in the U.S. is here in South Florida the florida day of the dead festival celebrates its 14th year tomorrow in fort lauderdale giving latinos and non-latinos alike a chance to bask in the dia de los muertos tradition it's a custom that dates back to aztec mexico fused with the christian observances of november 1st and 2nd all saints and all souls days the spirits of the dead come back to reunite with their families who decorate their graves and lay out their favorite foods and drinks At the Fort Lauderdale Festival, you can watch Aztec and Mexican folkloric dancers, mariachi bands, and a traditional skeleton processional. For more information, visit dayofthedeadflorida.com. That will do it for the South Florida Roundup. It's produced by Helen Aceveda with help from Polly Landis. Our engagement editor is Katie Cohen. Katie Munoz is our director of original live programming. Our director of enterprise journalism is Jessica Bakeman. Mateo Sanchez is digital editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's vice president of news. The vice president of radio and show's technical supervisor is Peter J. Maers. Richard Ives answers the phones. I'm Tim Paget. Have a great weekend and thanks for listening. Gracias. Merci. Obrigado. WLRN Public Media.